Peace be upon you. So there was a TV show entitled, I Shouldn't Be Alive. And the premise of the show was, as you can expect from the title, it's people who were in absolutely grueling circumstances. And uh, for all practical accounts, they shouldn't have survived, but they did, and they're living to tell the story. So one episode that really uh, resonated with me was a team of skydivers who went to Costa Rica for a skydiving uh, vacation. And it was their last day, and the weather wasn't so good, so they didn't think they were going to be able to make any more jumps. But the pilot says, hey, you know what? The weather's clearing up, and I think we can do one more jump. So the three skydivers, they get on the plane with the pilot, and they uh, fly up, and the pilot runs into mechanical issues. And he tells the people, hey, it's probably best for you guys to jump because he's not sure if he's going to be able to land this plane. So the uh, plane starts tailspinning, and they attempt to jump out of the plane. And one of the skydivers gets knocked in the head by the plane and never opens his chute. And the other one, uh, he loses track of. And the third skydiver who's telling the story was able to clear the plane and open his chute. And because he couldn't tell what he was uh, uh, landing in, uh, he was surprised to find out that he was in the middle of the ocean when he uh, landed. And in the distance, he sees the uh, plane crash, but no sign of the pilot. And it's too foggy to tell where the shore is and um, what direction he needs to swim. So he's in absolute panic. And he's just cursing himself, wishing that he was dead, uh, wishing he didn't have to drown in the middle of the ocean. And hours and hours go by, and he's getting fatigued and tired and exhausted and uh, runs into a school of jellyfish who repeatedly sting him. And he's just thinking that he's going through hell. Why is he still alive? And night falls. And he's thinking he has no more energy, that this is it. He sees an object swimming at him, and he's thinking that, you know, it's an uh, alligator, crocodile, or shark, or something. And he thinks it's over, and it bumps into him, and it's this miscellaneous log in the middle of the ocean that just perfectly ran into him. And he's uh, overwhelmed and exhausted, and he just passes out right on the log in the middle of the ocean. And when he comes to, it's morning. And uh, he sees that he uh, fell asleep on this log. But on the upside is that the uh, weather's cleared up, and now he can tell what direction the shore is. And he's miles and miles away, but at least he knows what direction he needs to go. The challenge he ran into was trying to swim with this giant log was very counterproductive. As hard as he paddled, the current would just push him away from the, uh, the shore. And he was at this uh, inflection point where he had to make a decision. Does he stay on this uh, log where he has uh, security, where he doesn't have to tread water, um, where he has a refuge in the middle of the ocean? But if he does, he'll most certainly die because there's no hope of anyone finding him in the middle of this vast ocean. And the other option is that he takes a risk and he tries to swim to shore. And he knows that that's his only chance for survival. But he doesn't have it in him to part ways with this log. He says he repeatedly tried to uh, uh, distance himself from the log and he would just come swimming back and he's crying and bawling and exhausted. And finally, he just makes the decision to push the log in the direction of the current and have the current take the log away from him because he himself could not uh, bear to do such a thing. And when the current takes the log, he has no choice at this point. His only option is to try to swim to shore. And again, he's miles and miles away. He's already been in the, the uh, water treading for over a day. Uh, he's fatigued. He's dehydrated. He's cold. But he, uh, he attempts to swim. And he's swimming and he's swimming and he's swimming. And he thinks that's it. 
he's done. He has no more energy. He can't uh, go on any further. He's about ready to call it quits. And a small fishing boat shows up and uh, saves him. And he's the only survivor out of uh, uh, the entire group. And the reason I bring up this story is because there are times in our life where we feel we have no choice, where we think that we are stuck, it's over, and the only option we have for survival is to throw down what it is that we think we're dependent on support. And only then, when we put our entire trust in God, will God transform the situation for us to grow and develop and to uh, uh, be saved. In chapter 22, verse 15, we read, Happiness now and forever. It reads, If anyone thinks that God cannot support him in this life and in the hereafter, let him turn completely to his Creator in heaven and sever his dependence on anyone else. He will then see that this plan eliminates anything that bothers him. This person thought that their survival was dependent on this log, this refuge that God provided him. But this was not their survival. This was a mere transitionary point for their survival. And it was up to the person to make that decision that the only way they're genuinely going to survive is by parting ways with what was holding them back. And this log, in the case of this uh, person, while it served its purpose, if he did not part ways with it, was going to lead to his demise, and he had to make a choice. And every day in our lives, we're going to get to a position, well, not every day, but at some point in our life, we're going to get to a position where we're going to feel stuck. We're going to feel there is no option. There is no getting out. And we have nothing to do but to sever our dependence on whatever it is we think we need for our survival. And we'll see sure enough that God will bring us out of the situation better. And I equate this to the example of a uh, baby uh, in a womb. When a baby's in a womb, it requires nourishment via the umbilical cord from the mother. Everything the baby needs is going to come through that umbilical cord. But at a certain time, it's going to be time for the baby to part ways with the mother, to exit the womb. And at that time, the umbilical cord is going to be cut. And similarly in our lives, there's going to be times we're going to need an umbilical cord. We're going to need support. We're going to need something to lean on. And when we get to that predicament where we no longer need that support, it's our duty to throw it down, to put our entire trust in God. And it's similar to uh, anyone who's learned to ride a bike or has taught someone else to ride a bike, that one of the things they have on that bike are training wheels. And these wheels keep the person from falling over, uh, keep the bike steady, uh, provide degrees of freedom for the individual so they don't fall. But at a certain point, Everyone who rides a bike realizes that it's time to take off those training wheels. It's time to put 100% trust in God. And when we do that, we'll realize that God has perfectly built us, has made us, so we can suffice and we can thrive under those circumstances. And the first example I want to bring up in the, the uh, Quran of this very incident taking place is with Moses. When God summoned Moses... God spoke with Moses. He said in 2017, he says, What is this in your right hand, Moses? You have to ask yourself, does God not know what is in Moses' right hand? God is all-knowing. God is omniscient. There's nothing that is outside of God's awareness. So clearly, he knows what is in Moses' right hand. 
But I believe the purpose of asking this question was because Moses had to reflect on this very item. In 2018, reads, he said, This is my staff. I lean on it. I herd my sheep with it. And I use it for other purposes. So he's declaring that the purpose of this staff is for support where he leans on it. He uses it for uh, uh, provisions in his uh, job as a herder. Um, And he uses it for other purposes. This is something that's at his side 24-7. And God in 2019 tells Moses, throw it down. 2020, he threw it down whereupon it turned into a moving serpent. He said, pick it up. Do not be afraid. We will return it to its original state. So God is taking this object that Moses depends on, that Moses leans on, that Moses uses for his day-to-day occupation. And God is telling Moses, throw it down. And when he threw it down, it turned into a serpent, and this freaked Moses out. In another verse, it says he fled, and God called him back and said, my messengers shall not fear, and um, showed that God is going to transform this object into something that's going to freak Moses out, but ultimately it's going to return back to its state, and it's going to be a tool in Moses' arsenal, that when he goes to Pharaoh, he's going to be able to produce a miracle. And God does this in our lives. We are presented with things that we think we need for our survival. A job, a house, money, connections, status, spouse, children. And at some point, we're going to realize that these things, while they provide us blessings in this life, that the ultimate way that we are going to suffice. The only thing we need in this world in order to survive is God. That these things are mere training wheels for us to build our confidence in God. And we see this example again with Moses, but this time with Moses' mother in 2038, when it reads, when we revealed to your mother what we revealed, saying, throw him into the box, then throw him into the river, The river will throw him onto the shore to be picked up by an enemy of mine and an enemy of his. I showered you with love from me and had you made before my watchful eye. Moses' mother was scared that Pharaoh and his troops were going to come and kill the firstborn of the children of Israel. And God is telling Moses' mother, do not be afraid. Put Moses in a box and throw him into the river. And that wasn't enough. It inspired Moses that it's going to be picked up by the very person you were trying to protect Moses from. And that's uh, Pharaoh. That God knew Pharaoh's wife was going to spot Moses and was going to tell Pharaoh not to kill him and that perhaps they can adopt him as their son. And you can imagine how scared, how intimidating this must have been for Moses' mother. This prized possession of yours, your own child, to have this act, to take it in a box and throw it into the river, knowing full well that it's only going to be picked up by the very person you're fleeing from persecution. But the element is, if we trust in God, if we wholeheartedly believe that God is the only one who can harm or benefit us, God is the only one who can provide us with protection, who can um, provide us with any provision we need, All our blessings we need come solely from God alone. When we're backed up in these corners and we feel like we have no choice, we have to trust in God. We throw down whatever it is that we have 
and we trust in God, that God is going to fix the situation, that God is going to transform the situation. Yes, it's going to be intimidating. Yes, it's going to be uh, uncertain. But our certainty is with God. And if we trust in God, God is going to fix the situation and is going to promote us from being able to carry out such acts. We see another example with Joseph. Joseph's brothers band together to throw him into a well. In 12.9, it says, Let us kill Joseph or banish him that you may get some attention from your father. Afterwards, you can be righteous people. One of them said, No, uh, do not kill Joseph. Let us throw him into the abyss of the well. Perhaps some caravan can pick him up if this is what you decide to do. So Joseph's brother, they were intimidated by Joseph <laughs> and they wanted to banish him. And Joseph, being a believer, he was the one who was threw, uh, thrown down into the well. He was the one who was banished. But this was all in accordance with God's plan. And God used this situation to promote Joseph. In 12.15, it continues, When they went away with him and unanimously decided to throw him into the abyss of the well, we inspired him. Someday you will tell them about all this while they have no idea. So Joseph was blessed with God's assurances, just like Moses' mother was, that despite the dire circumstances of being turned on by your brothers to be left for dead in an abyss of a well, that this was necessary for Joseph's education so he can come out better off. And God says that he established Joseph twice. Once when he was uh, put under the uh, guardianship of the uh, uh, governor, uh, Potiphar, in the, uh, the Bible, and the second time was after prison, when he was uh, made the treasurer of Egypt. And we see that, you know, sometimes we don't, oftentimes, we don't get to that situation where we decide that the only option is to throw down what we have. But we realize that when we have to, when we're forced to those circumstances, that if we put our trust in God, God is going to make the situation uh, perfect. It's going to make the situation better than we can imagine. But we have to do it for the right reasons. We have to do it to please God. We have to do it to grow and develop our souls and to have 100% trust in God. In 1232, we read about Joseph again. This time he was thrown in prison. And the governor's wife was so uh, in love with Joseph that when she tried to seduce him and he didn't give in, they decided that it, they should throw him in prison. And reads, she said, this is the one you blame me for falling in love with. I did indeed try to seduce him, and he refused. Unless he does what I command him to do, he will surely go to prison and will be debased. He said, My lord, the prison is better than giving in to them. Unless you divert their scheming from me, I may desire them and behave like the ignorant ones. His lord answered his prayer and diverted their scheming from him. He is the hearer, the omniscient. Later they saw to it, despite the clear proofs, that they should imprison him for a while. This is another incident, same person, Joseph, once by his brothers to throw him into the well, now by the governor's wife because he wouldn't give in to uh, her seduction. But in both circumstances, God used these opportunities to promote Joseph, so to give him a position of prominence. And we see that after this event, Joseph, when he interpreted the, the uh, uh, king's dream, he was made the treasurer of Egypt. That from this position, he was able to save his family from famine, to bring them out of Israel and into Egypt. Um, all this because he trusted in God, that he maintained moral integrity, that he led a righteous life. And sometimes, again, we're going to see another example 
where we think we object to God's commandments. But if we're righteous, it's going to be a blessing that God is going to turn that situation for a moment for us to learn from. And we see this in the example of Jonah. Jonah objected to the uh, uh, mission that God set out for him. God commanded him to go to the people of Nineveh to give the message. And as we saw in a previous podcast, these were the Assyrians who had a terrible reputation of just being brutal uh, people that Jonah wrote off, said there's no hope for them. I'm not going to go to these people. And we read what happened in 37.139. says, Jonah was one of the messengers. He escaped to the loaded ship. He rebelled, and thus he joined the losers. Consequently, the fish swallowed him, and he was the one to blame. If it were not that he resorted to meditation on God, he would have stayed in the belly until the day of resurrection. We had him thrown up into the desert, exhausted. We had a tree of edible fruit grown for him. Then we sent him to a hundred thousand or more. They did believe, and we let them enjoy this life. I don't think there is another circumstance in the uh, that I know of where a messenger went to a community, let alone a community of a hundred thousand with such a bad reputation that they all believed. We look at the example of uh, Moses when he went to the children of Israel. Two people believed out of all of them. <laughs> when they were to- uh, commanded to enter Jerusalem, none of them wanted to. Only two said to uh, follow God's commandment. Um, And this is an absolute miracle. But the aspect is that when we're put into these circumstances, we have to throw down what we have. In the case of uh, Joseph and Jonah, it was themselves that were thrown down. And God took that situation and changed it for them, created it into a blessing in disguise. That despite Jonah not wanting to follow God's mission, thinking that he can object to God's mission, that God used that circumstance for him to realize that there is no escape from God except to God. And when he meditated on God's name inside the big fish's belly, that God redeemed him and had him thrown up onto the shore in order for him to fulfill his mission so he can maintain righteousness. And the contrast to that is as a believer, we, in essence, uh, have to uh, submit to God when we're put in these circumstances. We put 100% trust in God. We sever our dependence on anyone, and we trust in God, and we throw down what it is that God gave us that we think we need, that we think we need for support, for provisions, to lean on, that we throw this down, and we trust that God is going to make the situation right. Now, what happens when people throw down for the wrong reasons? They take what blessings God has given them and they use it for their own detriment. Is that whatever they throw down ends up leading to their own destruction, ends up leading to them uh, drawing farther away from God. And we see this again with the example of Moses and the magicians. It reads in 712, it says, Let them summon every experienced magician. The magicians came to Pharaoh and said, Do we get paid if we are the winners? He said, Yes, indeed, you will even become close to me. They said, oh Moses, either you throw or we are throwing. He said, you throw. When they threw, they tricked the people's eyes, intimidated them, and produced a great magic. We then inspired Moses, throw down your staff, whereupon it swallowed whatever they fabricated. When the disbelievers throw down, irrespective of how it looks in our eyes, God is going to make it fail. It's inevitable. And it was a blessing from God. That despite this situation, when the magicians saw Moses' miracle, they realized this wasn't sleight of hand. This wasn't just magic. And they immediately repented 
and turn wholeheartedly to God to the point that they're willing to throw down their lives in order to be redeemed. And this is the power of God. This is the power when we give everything we have for the sake of God, God is going to turn those situations into huge opportunities for promotion. Another example is with the uh, golden calf, where the disbelievers threw in all their gold in order to create an idol to rival God. And in 2086, as Moses returned to his people angry and disappointed, saying, Oh, my people, did your Lord not promise you a good promise? Could you not wait? Did you want to incur wrath from your Lord? Is this why you broke your agreement with me? They said, We did not break our agreement with you on purpose, but we were loaded down with jewelry and decided to throw our loads in. This is what the Sumerians suggested. He produced for them a sculpted calf complete with the calf sound. They said, This is your God, the God of Moses. Thus he forgot. And it continues in 2095. It says, He said, What is the matter with you, a Sumerian? He said, I saw what you could not see. I grabbed a fistful of dust from the place where the messenger stood and used it to mix into the golden calf. This is what my mind inspired me to do. He said, Then go, and throughout your life do not even come close. You have an appointed time for your final judgment that you can never evade. Look at your God that you used to worship. We will burn it and throw it into the sea to stay down there forever. And we see from these verses that what the disbelievers produce, what the disbelievers throw down to fight God, to uh, uh, grow their uh, prominence of their idols, to grow and develop their egos, only hurts them. And in this case, not only was it burned and thrown into the sea, it's to stay there forever. Just like when Moses threw his staff, it swallowed whatever the magicians fabricated. And we have one more example of Moses... (laughs) And this is with Pharaoh and his troops. God threw Pharaoh and his troops into the sea to be drowned. And 2839 says, Thus he and his troops continued to commit arrogance on earth without any right and thought that they could not be returned to us. Consequently, we punished him and his troops by throwing them into the sea. Note the consequences for the transgressors. We made them imams who led their people to hell. Furthermore, on the day of resurrection, they will have no help. So God took these people who used their lives for nothing but destruction, persecution, oppression, all these blessings that God gave Pharaoh and his troops that they used to fight God and his message, that they used to drive people away from the truth, that they used to be arrogant, oppressive, tyrants on earth. God wiped all that out. And what's fascinating is in 2841 when it reads, we made them imams who led their people to hell. Furthermore, on the day of resurrection, they will have no help. And we see this today. We see people, imams, telling people to throw themselves into destruction, to take their lives and to blow themselves up because this is what they uh, advocate to do. And they completely defy the words of God in the Quran. In 2.195, it says, You shall spend in the cause of God. Do not throw yourselves with your own hands into destruction. You shall be charitable. God loves the charitable. That God is telling us not to throw our own selves into destruction. When these people advocate individuals to become suicide bombers, this has no foundation in the Quran. God tells us specifically 
that aggression is only permitted against the aggressors. If we use these blessings, this life that God has given us, to promote tyranny, to promote oppression, persecution, then we are guaranteed never to be able to be saved, that we would be the fuel for hell. In 2.190, it says, You may fight in the cause of God against those who attack you, but do not aggress. God does not love the aggressors. In 2.193, it reads, You may also fight them to eliminate oppression, to worship God freely. If they refrain, you shall not aggress. Aggression is permitted only against the aggressors. So just like Pharaoh told his troops to persecute the the children of Israel, they were thrown into the uh, uh, sea and they were drowned. These imams who tell individuals, young, vulnerable individuals, that it's God's mission for them to blow themselves up, to commit such atrocities, they're no different than Pharaoh and his troops. God has given us so many blessings, and we use these blessings to draw closer to God, to be kind, to be humble, to be uh, uh, loving individuals, to be productive members of society. And if we use these in the wrong way, we're only hurting ourselves in this life and in the hereafter. And there's a question, is how do we know when it is time for us to throw down what it is we have? If we go back to 22.15, it reads, If anyone thinks that God cannot support him in this life and in the hereafter, let him turn completely to his Creator in heaven and sever his dependence on anyone else. He will then see that this plan eliminates anything that bothers him. And I was thinking a lot about this. I've talked with people and they seem to just use this as a cop-out when they run into hardship. Their job is getting hard. They say, look, I just want to quit. Uh, their uh, relationship with their spouse is getting difficult. They say, I just want to leave. Um, and these, I don't think, are the appropriate tactics to use this verse in 2215 to sever your dependence on anyone. We have certain obligations in this life. We have obligations to our children, to our spouses, to our work, uh, to society. And we can't absolve ourselves from this responsibility. So the question is, when does 2215 come into play? And... Um, my answer to that from looking at these verses is when you feel like you have no other choice. When you're backed up to a corner and the only option you have is to sever your dependence. Um, in the Bible, we read the example of uh, the devil tempting Jesus. In Luke 4, it reads, Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. If you are God's chosen, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus declared, it is also says, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So it's saying here that, you know, the devil was telling Jesus, hey, just jump off this uh, cliff. You know, sever your dependence. Just jump. God is going to save you. And Jesus' response is, you can't test God. God has a system. For instance, if someone was to go to war, they can't go to war with feathers and say, look, God is going to protect us. Now, if they had no weapons, you know, they were put in a position where they had nothing and they had no other choice, then God will support them. But to throw ourselves with our own hands into destruction is 
breaking God's commandments. And that's the reason that when we are put in this situation, this is at a point when we have no choice. When you feel like there is no other option other than to sever your dependence. And if you think about the uh, story from the beginning about the uh, person in the middle of the ocean who thought that their log was their only refuge, the only choice they had for survival was to part ways because that log was going to lead to their sure demise. And you see this in time and time again when Moses was fleeing Pharaoh and his troops and uh, the uh, children of Israel said, we're going to be caught. Moses' response was, no way. And at that point, God parted the sea for them. And that's he used his staff. <laughs> and by God's leave, it parted the sea for them. So we have to put our trust 100% to God. And we have to always, you know, it's not that we're throwing ourselves into destruction. We have to trust in God. And in 3159 says, when you make a decision, carry out your plan and trust in God. God loves those who trust in him. And we can never use 2215 to break another one of God's commandments. You know, what we do when we sever our dependence isn't because we're lazy. It isn't because we want to absolve ourselves from any responsibility. It's because we want to draw closer to God. We want to maintain righteousness. If we're put in a situation where our only option to maintain righteousness is to either fall into sin or um, uh, quit our jobs or anything else, then we always choose God. We trust in God. And by doing that, we will see that it's not our jobs that provide provisions for us. It's not our boss. It's not uh, you know our connections. That it's God alone. Anytime that we're being pushed towards committing sin and we have a choice to either commit sin, or to draw closer to God, and that requires trusting God. We err on the side of uh, trusting God. And 3173 says, when the people say to them, people have mobilized against you, you should fear them. This only strengthens their faith, and they say, God suffices us. He is the best protector. They have deserved God's blessings and grace. No harm ever touches them, for they have attained approval. God possesses infinite grace. These are believers at the time of the prophet who didn't want to fight. God tells us specifically in the Quran that if people offer us peace, we have no justification to fight them. But if people mobilize against them, that their trust is 100% to God, and God tells them that no harm ever touches them. In 3175, it continues, It is the devil's system to instill fear into his subjects. Do not fear them and fear me instead, if you are believers. And I want to end with one verse, and this is chapter 5, verse 54. It says, Oh, you believe if you revert from your religion, then God will substitute in your place people whom he loves and who love him. They will be kind with the believers, stern with the disbelievers, and will strive in the cause of God without fear of any blame, such as God's blessing. He bestows it upon whomever he wills. God is bounteous, omniscient. So if we trust in God, if we try to maintain moral integrity, uh, lead a righteous life, that we can strive in the cause of God without fear of any blame. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, hit us up at Quran at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.